what up, and welcome to the Water With Lemon podcast. This is Emma Cook, your host, and I am a fellow 20-something creating this podcast for you, my 20-something friends, or 20-somethings at heart. My hope and prayer is that you walk away from each episode feeling encouraged, challenged, and refreshed in your walk with the Lord. I invite some legit older, wiser women on to help us along this journey and remind us that we will indeed survive. I am pumped that you're here. Hey ladies, welcome back to the podcast. This week on the podcast, I got to have a super life-giving conversation with my sweet friend, Heather Avis. We talk about her new book, Scoot Over and Make Some Room, which focuses on helping us understand the importance behind loving, welcoming, and being inclusive of everyone around us. Diversity and inclusion are huge, and Heather and I discuss the importance behind why we should love and serve those that are marginalized. Hearing her heart on how God uses her kids, who are so cute, by the way, to make his name known was so refreshing, and I can't wait for you to give it a listen. Well, hey, Heather. I am so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Yes. I, you know, was so excited to have you on um, because I got to read your previous book, and now you're coming out with a new book, and I'm so excited uh, for you in this new journey. Yeah. Oh man. It's like giving birth, <laughs> like putting a book out in the world. So I'm excited right? too. Yes. It's such a crazy, it's crazy. Like I never thought I'd have a book, let alone two books. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm pumped. Right. That's such an accomplishment. I mean, I obviously have never written a book, but I can imagine that it's like a crazy, crazy process. And then finally, you're at this point where like, uh, okay, I've done all I can. Now it's out in the world. Like, totally. People like (laughs) it's super vulnerable. Yeah, it's super vulnerable. It's definitely like a, a God like does some serious work in my soul each time with all all my issues come to surface. (laughs) good good fun (laughs) yeah you're just like all right lord do what you want here (laughs) exactly exactly man well I'm excited for you how about you just kind of start us off and tell us about like yourself and what life is like for you these days I know you have a bunch of crazy kids running around so tell us about your life yeah well I mean today exactly is summertime in our neck of the woods and so kids are out of school um, so things are extra, yeah. extra exciting around here. So I have, <laughs> my husband and I have been married for 17 years and I have three kids. My oldest is 11. My middle is eight and my youngest is five. Um, we live in Southern California and all three of our kids are adopted. Um, all of them were born in Southern California in different cities down in the state. Um, my oldest mm-hmm. and my youngest have Down syndrome. And my husband and I are both Caucasian, and our middle daughter is African American and Guatemalan. So we're just a a diverse oh. little group of of family here. Um, it's a girl, girl Mason, truly a girl, and August a boy. And yeah, Aww. it's a long story. I mean, I wrote a whole book about it called The Lucky Few that um, contains each child's story and how they came to be ours and um, why we chose adoption and why we chose Down syndrome and just the things God has done in our lives and in our hearts through our kids. Um, and Mm, yeah, it's great. It's, I mean, they've, 
they have totally changed my life and my worldview and how I view God um, in really some powerful, magnificent ways. So that's the that's the one minute mm. version <laughs> of my family. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like okay, go ahead and go and read right. <laughs> if you want to hear all of the backstories. But I have to say, they are some good looking oh, kids. Cute. I mean, I love these pictures that uh, like you have to for the book um, on the cat on the mm-hmm. orange couch. You know, oh my gosh, they are so cute. They're really cute, and I think since they're adopted, I feel I feel like parents should be able to say that anyways, but. You know, usually someone says, your kids are so cute, and people say, oh, thank you. And I'm like, yeah, I know. They're really cute. <laughs> I had nothing. I can't say thank you for that. I had, I had nothing, nothing to, to do, do with, with that. Yeah. awesomeness and cuteness. They're pretty cute. I just get to exactly. enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> They're adorable. So you have them all home for the summer. How's, how's that feeling to have them out of school? We have a really really full summer. So we already, we were home two days out of school and then we went to family camp for a week. So we've really only had a couple, we're home now okay. and it's just been a couple days. Um, it's like, I have this really, um, up and down love hate relationship with summer because it's my favorite. I yeah. mean, a month before school's <laughs> out, we've got a countdown going like summer, summer. And then yesterday, you know, we've been home like a day and my husband and I are like, Who's who's gonna watch these kids? Like what who's gonna take these kids from us? This is a lot of work. <laughs> like you gotta find things to do. So it's like making the like they're they're bored. I'm like, you guys, you're not you're not allowed to be bored. And so it's like making the list and the charge. But then right. it's so fun this morning just to like I love like a lazy morning. And so my husband and I both work from home full time. Yes. So it's like figuring out the juggling. Um, anyways, I love it. I love summer, but we're home for a week and then I and then we're gone for a week and then we're home for a week and then we're gone the rest of the summer until school starts. So we're going to be traveling a lot, which is really fun. Very like in yeah. out. Yeah. And that'll be good for like the pace of it to kind of have like downtime, but then, you know, they're not bored and they're out and Definitely. doing stuff. So I get it. I, I am okay. a teacher. So, you know, for me, this time is like living yeah. my best life, you know, <laughs> so recovering from the school year. So, um, one thing that I really wanted to ask you about, um, just being a teacher and I'm, I'm sure this is, you know, interesting for others as well, but with, um, doing inclusion with your kiddos Mm -hmm. in the classroom. And I know you had like some challenges with Mason. I wanted to hear just like a little bit about that and like the challenges that you've had and kind of like what your heart has been with, with keeping her in the classroom. Cause I'm just like really interested. Yeah. I mean, I can take us back to a little bit. I, I actually was a teacher before I stayed home before we had kids and yeah, I taught, okay. um, oh, great. Me, <clears throat> sorry, I have a mild, moderate and moderate to severe teaching credentials. Um, I taught, uh, <laughs> RSP re, uh, resource class. This was like 10 years ago, oh, um, yeah. at the high school level. So I taught high school and then I taught a living skills class with kids who have more intense needs, um, or more severe needs. Yeah. Yeah. And that and even with that happening, even being a part of that population and loving that population with all my heart, I still didn't want a child with a disability. So it's a really long, a really long mm-hmm. story again, which we're not talking about. But I do have an educator's background. And so it's interesting being on the other side of it. Um, kids with disabilities have something called an IEP, an individualized educational plan. And 
I so as a teacher, mm-hmm. I wrote those. I sat in those meetings with the parents, and it, it always felt like an us versus them, which I hated. And then on the other side of it, I'm the parent now. Mm -hmm. And so I could definitely bring a lot to the conversation. And even just saying to the educators who don't see eye to eye with me, like, I've been in your shoes. So let's, let's work this out, you know, but it's interesting. We just, we live in a world that is not very good at inclusion. Um, There's like a, a, I'm Mm -hmm. using air quotes, like a normal way to be. And my kids don't fit in that space. And so then the question that we've wrestled with, which led me to my second book is, well, what, where do they fit? Why should they, how do they, what do we need from society? What does God say about my kids? Um, and so my kids are, what God says about my kids is exactly as they are. They are fearfully, wonderfully made. They are image bearers. They're awesome. Like they're slaying it. Mm -hmm. So when I step into a school, sorry, this is a long way to get to your question. Um, when I step into a school, I'm asking the school to see my kids as fully worthy, fully able, to see them as um, as capable, not to see them as what they can't do. Yeah. And to see their disability or to see Down syndrome as an asset, not a deficit. And it's radical. It's a radical thing to ask educators to do because the educational system, especially like there's systems in place in the United States and the educational system is set up in a way that works for certain people. It works well for certain people and not for others. Which, as you know, as an educator, is crazy because mm-hmm. there's so many different learners in your classroom. Um, it's all over oh, the board, and yeah. that's what I tell teachers when I when I'm saying, "Hey, here's my daughter who has Down syndrome. She's not writing yet, right? She's she's 11 years old. She's going to fifth grade. She's not writing yet. She's reading at maybe a preschool level, like kinder kinder level. We're just at sight words. She still doesn't rote count to 100, and she's going to learn in your fifth grade classroom. And that's a radical thing. Like what? And all that people, all mm-hmm. that the system sees is what she can't do rather than what she can do and how with little tweaks and modifications, she can actually access fifth grade curriculum and learn alongside her peers, which is her civil right. So once we, once we figure all that out and we like get past the, but this like past the way the system's in place, then educators, the teachers will come back and be like, oh my gosh, this modification that I'm doing for Mason it's working for like 10 students in my classroom, you know, or like, like adjusting this way of learning. I've got these other learners here who it's now super helpful for because everyone in the classroom learns differently. Um, yeah. So our biggest yeah. thing that I say to our, to our IEP team and that I would say to a teacher, I would say to educators is um, I need, when you see my child with Down syndrome, you need to see what they're capable of, not what they're not capable of. And if we can start there, um, and Mm -hmm. I say, you know, our ultimate goal for our kids, for all three of our kids, but specifically our kids with Down syndrome, is that they are fully um, included in their communities, that they are participants in their community, that they are contributing to their community, and they're fully embraced as members. And that starts with the school. So if they're not a full Mm -hmm. member of their school, if they don't, I call it citizenship. If they don't have full citizenship at their school, then we, how do we reach our goal for them as adults where they have, they can navigate their community. The community knows them. They can have a job, you know, like people, they can go to people's houses. People can go to their house, you know, like, like be a community member. Um, and if you're in a separate classroom in your school, Mm -hmm. then you're not a full citizen. You're up, you're in a separate place. And so that's not going to work for my kids. Right. 
And then we can figure out the details from there. But like the, that foundation of, I see your kid is fully able and it is their civil right to learn alongside their peers. And we'll figure it out from there. That's my very long answer, girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, and I love it. And I am totally with you and, and I'm sure you've met a lot of challenges along the way with just, you know, um, some people not seeing the same as you. Um, and it can be hard to like, I can imagine to sit in those meetings and to fight for, uh, what you know is right for your kiddos. And so, um, you know, I think that that is really admirable of you to, to stand up for what, you know, um, you know, to kind of speak up for Mason where, where she can't, you know? And so, um, that is really cool. And like, I'm sure that all of those jobs in the education setting, like totally set you up for motherhood with them. Um, and to be able to kind of already know the ins and outs of it. So that is really cool that God like already ordained that for you. Yeah. It is super helpful that I know, I know our rights and I know the laws and I know how the paperwork looks and you know, that part doesn't feel overwhelming, which it does for a lot of parents. So I'm really grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times they're just like, what are you even saying? Exactly. What are all these acronyms? Like, what is happening? So you already, like, know what all of that is, which is great and I'm sure is really helpful yeah. with your kiddos. So, And so that's kind of, like, what led you to write this book, right? Just, like, in general, um, how um, – how people are treated in, in today's world. And so would you kind of just like tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write Scoot Over and Make Some Room? Like what was that journey like for you? Yeah, it was um, after my first book came out, uh, one of my really good friends was like, when's the next one? And I feel like I've, I haven't given birth, but I've been to births. And I feel like that's asking a woman who just birthed a baby, like, when are you having another baby? And it's like, never. <laughs> um, so I... I'm like, I don't, I have, I've got one story to tell. And then I was just in the free, on the freeway one day and I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to write about this. And it was just this idea that all three of my kids find themselves on the margins in our society in some way. And I've learned a lot about the marginalized and I've learned a lot about my own privilege and the things that I need to do to make my, the world a better place for my kids, which in return will make the world a better place for all of us. And so it was just starting to tell stories, stories about church and um, school and dance class and community um, and just the whole idea of like we have got to get make room for people who are different than us. And even before I had kids, looking at my life and realizing that I was taking up all the space that I wanted um, and that there were people in this world who are made in the image of God, who... Um, you know, as an image bearer and they're incredibly different than me, how can I know God fully if I only know people who are like me? Um, and so I needed those people in my life. And and God's grace in that is that he gave me my three kids to really show me that. And then my message to the world is you should, I, I don't want people to have to go to the extent of they have a family member or a loved one who fits in a category of marginalized like we need to do this work now and that the world is suffering mm-hmm. because we're not an inclusive space and because we don't know people who are different than us. Um, there's so much division and margin in the world, I think, in the United States now more than there's ever been. And 
I think a lot of that is because we're so fearful of the unknown and there's all these people groups who are different than us that we don't know and therefore there's fear and therefore there's division. Whereas if we just take a minute and we pause and go, wait a second, who's missing in my life? Like, is my group around me pretty homogenous or are there people who are different ethnicity or have different abilities or who come from different parts of Mm -hmm. the world? You know, are those people in my life? And if so, then we can start to build relationships. We can start to see healing. We can start to build bridges and make the world work better for, for everybody. So that's kind of where the book came Mm -hmm. from. It was, it really was my kids, my kids step out our front door and they're stepping into a world that fails to see their full value and worth. So like as a mom, that's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're going to, I I call myself a narrative shifter and a shouter of worth. And so we're going to shout their worth. And this book is a way of doing that. Mm, That is so cool. I, Totally respect that. And I think it is really important to to speak up about that. It's something that I've been made more aware of now of like, just looking around to see like, who are my friends? Who are the people that um, are in my life? And, and am I choosing the same kinds of people? You know, like, what is there diversity in my in my friend groups? And um and like who am I spending time with and just being more aware of that mm-hmm. um and then obviously like within the classroom as well like how can I speak up for like those kiddos that um you know where the world says like they don't belong or um or just total lies like that and so yeah this is a huge thing and I'm so glad that like you have spoken up about it I I have to say that my favorite chapter so far is uh, the one about um, <laughs> lots of pee stories. <laughs> pee. Never pass up an opportunity to pee. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh I was dying and I was also like, oh my gosh, I never want kids. I'm, oh, I'm kidding. Man. Just not, yeah. not now. <laughs> oh, shoot. That's so funny. Like, I know I had wow. someone... I had an, um, someone who read the book early on our launch team say something. She doesn't have kids and she's not married. And she said something like, I never thought a chapter, or a, um, yeah, a chapter about pee could change my worldview so drastically. <laughs> or a chapter about potty training. Like a chapter about potty training could change my worldview so drastically. Yes. But that's the thing that I, yes. that I feel so like true. God's been, yeah, that's the thing God, I feel like God's been showing me through raising my kids is like something like potty training. I had never thought about that. I had never thought about how hard it is for certain people. You know, like you don't, there's just things we don't think about because we don't have to. And so what I'm hoping to Mm -hmm. say to the reader in the world is, you know what? You actually have to think about these things. Like we have to start thinking about not necessarily potty training, but the fact that the world doesn't work the same for everybody. And, And how are we contributing to that negatively? And how can we contribute to that positively? Um, cause I think mm-hmm. we're all responsible and especially as people who love the Lord, it's like, we've got a whole other calling on our lives here. We don't, we have another standard by which we need to live and it's time. Like it's time to do that. Yeah, I totally agree. So I'd love to just kind of talk about how in scripture, um, you know, I'm sure you had to look into just like, how did Jesus, uh, ask people to scoot over? and make room for those that were marginalized. I know it's like over and over, but like, 
give us some examples of how Jesus did this. I think that for people who are familiar with Jesus, I don't even know that you need, if you grew up listening to Jesus stories, you don't even necessarily need to open your Bible to, to know. Um, I think Jesus lived his entire life radically inclusive and that's, he like stepped into the powers of the day, the Pharisees constantly challenging societal norms. Um, I think that the way, what I love about Jesus in his life is that he did that relationally and there's so much power in relationship. It's a game changer, you know, and I see that with my kids, people who have a relationship with someone who has Down syndrome or have a relationship with someone who's a different ethnicity than they are. It's going to change the way they look at my kids instantly. And then once people Mm -hmm. have, if they don't have that relationship and then that starts to develop with my children, it changes it changes an entire perspective on a whole people group. And Jesus was so relational. So you can look at like, like the, the story of the woman at the well, where there's this woman um, who is a different ethnicity than he is, who is a sinner and who is a woman. And it's like right there, there's three things. Like he as a man should interact with her. He as a Jew should interact with her. Interact with her. And he's like, let me not only interact with you, but I'm going to, create a relationship here in this space that's going to change your life forever. Mm-hmm. And he's doing this constantly, right? Like the Pharisees are constantly saying to Jesus, you can't do this. You can't do this. Like healing on the Sabbath, you can't do this. And Jesus is saying mm-hmm. to society, actually, I can do these things and we need to do these things. And reaching out, mm-hmm. he spent his whole ministry with the marginalized. That's where he hung out. Mm-hmm. Like saying that this group, all of these different people have worth and value. I mean, you can look at like gender roles when Jesus was alive during his um, during his life and where where he lived in the time in which he lived and the relationships he had with women and the, that he gave women a voice. You know, like people weren't listening to women and they get a voice or tax collectors and they get a voice or um, the poor and they get a voice or the disabled really and they get a voice and it's like it was his entire ministry. It was every everywhere he stepped, he was creating a space for people who didn't have a space. Mm, that's so true. I mean, yeah. it's like just open up to the gospels and see that. I was just Yeah. I was just reading this morning in Luke chapter 6 and um it was when Jesus uh was making the Pharisees mad because he was eating some grain and he was Mm -hmm. healing this man with a withered hand and it was on the Sabbath and he made the Pharisees very mad because apparently by law he was not supposed to do that on the Sabbath and so they're so stuck on what is the law that couldn't Mm -hmm. even see like the beauty in oh he just healed this man's hand like that is so cool. Look at this guy. Like we should follow him. Instead, they're so stuck in their ways. And as you're talking, I'm thinking like, so why are we constantly in this headspace of looking down on certain people groups, certain um, statuses? Uh, Like what in our brains makes us think that we are able to judge in that way. And I'm like, man, nothing has changed. Mm. Uh, You know, the Pharisees thinking that we should stick to the law versus us today thinking somehow we're better than certain people groups. Yeah. It is, it is a little bit frightening to 
think like, oh, wait a second, How, what has changed? Like, what what are we doing in the church? Someone someone asked me a question once, like, do you when you look at the church, and I'm doing like air quotes, the big C church, do you mm-hmm. feel hopeful? And I honestly don't. I can't answer that with yes. I can't. I don't say no. But I again go back to relationship. When I look at one-on-one relationships, when I look at people in power who are who are intentional about creating relationships with people who are different than them, and I'm super hopeful. But when I look at the system in place, um, I I don't know. I don't know how things are going to change, and and it feels it feels disheartening. Um, but you think, yeah, and like the story you just told, it's like there there was this system in place that said there's a certain way to live your life, and that's the only way. And Jesus mm-hmm. himself entered that system, you know, and said, actually, no, this isn't the only way. Um, yeah, people are more important than systems. Like human humanity is more important than law, and mm-hmm. um, it's a lesson that I think we're all still trying to learn. And I think at the end of the day, people are really scared of what they don't know. And, and why, and so people don't want to pursue that, you know, people don't want to pursue a relationship with someone who has a different ability because that feels scary because they don't know what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that's why it's so important to like step out of that, you know, like to, that's the message that our, my work is, that's the message of this book is like, it's okay to feel scared of the unknown, but it's not okay to stop there. You've got to step out of that and make the unknown known and then it's not scary anymore. And then we can really start to see some changes happen for people who are marginalized, which then in return will, I think, make the world better for all of us when we have those relationships. I so agree. Again, I am totally with you that it is something that we're all still trying to learn of. Let's just look at Jesus and how he lived and, and who he hung out with and there's so much that we can learn from him and in all of the arguments of today's world. I mean, it is just, I feel like it's so much simpler than, than we make it like to just love people, you know, and, and somehow we still can't figure that out. Yeah. It's just crazy. And I think one of the big, yeah, I think one of the big problems is, or I've found, and this was true for myself and I see it for other people it is when we are living in that homogenous space. Like when the people around us look like us, think like us, vote like us, then it's easier to have um, biases. It's it's harder to see the nuances in relationships. And so that's the whole point of this message is like, you've got to get out of your own space and invite or invite people into your space who are different than you and listen to them and learn mm-hmm. from them and not try to be defensive and not try to prove yourself. And maybe everything they're saying to you, you think is wrong but you can still sit and listen and learn as humbly rather than try to argue and prove your Mm -hmm. point. Um, And I think that we need a lot more listening and learning and a lot less opinions from people who are, who have always been in power. Mm. And it's, I think the first step is for people to recognize that, you know, like I think a lot of people who are in power, um, it's hard for them to see that, to see because everyone around them is the same. And so that's like step one, who's around you? Like, who are you learning from? Who's in your circles? Mm -hmm. And if everyone looks like you, then we really need to do some hard work to change that because that's not how we're going to see change happen. That's not how we're going to see the love of Jesus Mm -hmm. shine in the world. That's so true. Yeah. So what would you say, like, 
I would love for you just to like encourage um, and kind of give some advice, one specifically to educators, if you would, and just like how we can um, better love those who are marginalized and then maybe just like society in general, like how do you think we could better like love and serve those that, you know, are quote unquote, like marginalized? Yeah, I think it's the same answer for both. Um, it's the idea of seeing and believing the best. So like assuming competence and when the, when you see a people, a person with a different ability. So if you're an educator and you see a person with a different ability, um, see the ability there, see the asset, see, believe and see the best in that person, see them as able. And I think it goes back like to society. If there's a ethnicity that, that you're not comfortable with, or uh, like someone who's an immigrant or someone who worships differently or someone who votes differently, see that person, see the best in that person, believe the best, um, believe that you have something to learn from them, believe that they have something to offer you and then let them teach you, like be, be humble enough to, to learn. And for educators, like be flexible and creative and, um, and it's going to be hard. That's the thing that I think we live in this world. That's like, Hey, we're going to try to avoid pain and hard at all costs. And then what I've learned so much from my kids is that hard is not bad. Hard is just hard, you know, and it's okay. Like it's okay for things to be hard. So those are my, my little pieces of advice. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I love it. And I think it needs to be talked about so much more. And I think it's just us and our humanness and thinking somehow we're better. Uh, Or even that constant idea that somehow um, we make a really good God. Uh, And it just never works. And so coming to a place where we can look at Jesus and look at his life and, and figure out, you know, where... Um, where can I be more like you, Lord? Uh, how can I love and serve those around me better? Open my eyes to the people or, um, you know, just the ways that I'm not, I'm not loving, uh, others or think that I'm better in some way. So, totally. um, I love that. And yeah. I'm grateful that you're talking about it. So, uh, let's, let's talk specifically if it's okay to just like 20 somethings. Um, what do you think like that kind of means for us? What do you think we could do to just kind of be more like Jesus in this way? Um, to just like love and serve those around us thinking about the stages of life that we're in. Yeah. Um, I love this idea of talking specifically to 20 somethings. I also have to say that in my head, I'm still 20 something. So it's like a little bit weird. It's I'm, fine. I always say it's for 20 somethings or 20 somethings at heart. We yeah. will totally include you. <laughs> I'm 37. So for the record, um, and I got married when I was 20. So I was like, I didn't really do single life in my twenties, but yeah, neither here nor there. Um, I think that, that, I mean, it, it was 17 years ago that I was 20. And I think that today there's more opportunities for learning about inclusive practices than there were even just 17 years ago. Um, I yeah. mean, I would even risk right now, and this will rub people the wrong way, and that's fine because it's okay to be rubbed the wrong way. 
but even looking at like LGBTQ community, that your generation has an opportunity in terms of growing up around and being around people who are so different than them. So ethnically, ability-wise, gender. Um, and we we want to be, I think, as the church, Big C Church again, quote air quotes, we want to be um, so right that we don't take time to have relationships and to learn. And it becomes uh-huh. like Pharisees. Like this is what the law says. This is what the scriptures say. This is what culture says. Therefore, you are less human. Um, Mm. and so to see all people as image bearers, like to challenge yourself in that, you know, like you're going to be around people who are so incredibly different than you. And do you view them as, do you see them as an image bearer of God as Mm. is, you know, like when God created us and created all people in his image, it wasn't like you're created in my image. If you are a white male who, who, whatever, you know, like, no, you're created in God's image, period, like at creation. And so how do you view people as they are, as image bearers of God? Um, and then, mm-hmm. okay, what do they have to teach you about the Lord? I just think that it. I really feel like you guys are super lucky in that sense, that you're going to be around people who are different than you and more so than than I was in my 20s. Um, I think there's more opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think with social media, there's this incredible opportunity that if you live in a city that's like in the like middle of nowhere and you're in like, you know, there's... 50 people and everyone's white. There's a lot of cities like that and that's fine. Um, You can't like drive hours away for relationships with people who are different, but you've got social media. And so you can pull up right now in 10 seconds, 20 accounts on Instagram of people of color who are advocates in the space and learn from them, you know, like, and and Mm -hmm. let that be your, your relationship with that community. Or you can pull up accounts by people who have down syndrome or any, anything, right. Who are self-advocates with autism and you can follow along and, and realize like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that the world was this way for this group of people. And then your heart can be softened or God can start to do what God needs to do in your heart, um, in terms of making your own life more inclusive. So you just have so many tools. Mm -hmm. You have so many tools that you're at your disposal to really, um, understand people who are different. And I think therefore see the fullness of God. And I, and I think that's awesome. And I think that, I think mm-hmm. that the church, again, Bixie church, and I know as I'm raising my kids and my kids go to public school and I have lots of friends who have kids, you know, my oldest is in fifth grade and I've got friends who have kids who are going into high school or who have graduated high school. And, um, it feels scary to send your kids to school. And I can, I can see that. And, And that's, you know, everyone, you do you, everyone's got their convictions and how they're going to raise their kids. But I would say to 20 somethings, like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid um, about, about the differences around you. Like trust that God's got you and it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be curious and it's okay to love someone who maybe on paper is like a, is somebody who is totally living outside the moral standards that you have, you know, like it's okay to love those people right? and God's got you in that and God's got them. So don't be afraid. Like, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid of people who are different Mm -hmm. than you. Try to build a bridge and try to create some relationships because 20s are fun. 20s are super fun. And I'll say this last thing to all the 20 somethings out there. When I was in my twenties, excuse me, I'm sorry. I, I knew everything. Um, I literally, <laughs> I literally knew everything. 
And when I was in my 30s, I'm in my 30s now, I know nothing. And I wish that I could go back to my 20s and be better at listening and learning. I wish I could be better at that. Yeah. Um, because I really thought I knew yeah. everything. And I had strong convictions, and it's important to have strong convictions about things. But I wish that I would have sat and listened more and learned more. Yeah. And been like, huh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. I'd never thought about that instead of trying to quickly tr- prove my stance or my point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally get that. I hear that. I hear that that's a lot. Funny, right? Uh, <laughs> and then in your 20s, you're like, yes, yeah, I and- know. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes. It's totally, it's totally a thing. We think we know what we're doing and we're constantly like just craving the next thing. Yeah. You know, that's like the common themes. So is there anything else that like, you want to share about your 20s like what was good and hard I know that uh you know you said you married when you were 20 so um you spent all of that married right and so like anything else you would share about like what was good what was hard in your 20s yeah um I mean 20s were so fun I feel like there was like this idea of like um what's a footloose and fancy free whatever that saying is. Yeah. And like my husband and I were broke and just figuring out jobs. And, um, I think that there were, because there was a lot of unknown and a lot of instability that I, I would want to say like, there's another side to things, you know? So when you're feeling overwhelmed or scared of the unknown, there's another side and you're going to get there, but you got to go through it. You can't just get there right away. So that could be if you're like in your mid twenties and your dream, you know, you're, or you're in your late twenties and you thought you'd be married by now and you're not. And that feels scary and, um, hopeless. Like there'll be another side to it. You'll get Mm -hmm. there, you know, or if you're already married for me, I was desperate to have kids and that wasn't happening. Like there's another side to it and you'll get there. Um, or with your job or with a roommate or all the different things that are happening in that time of life that are just so many, there's so many transitions and there's so many unknowns. Um, but you got to go through it and that you're stronger than you think. And you've got this dear 20 year olds and have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you got this. Thank you. Yeah. We need the encouragement. <laughs> you know, and your metabolism, you yes, your metabolism is still really high. So just take, just enjoy that, that high working metabolism. <laughs> <laughs> Cause soon it's going to be soon. Away. You're going to be like, what happened? Uh, I, I never changed my eating. Like, no, you didn't. Your body, <laughs> no longer burns calories the same. I'm just kidding. Your, your bodies are great. Everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the hope, Heather. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could like, if you could go back and just kind of like tell your 20 year old self something, like what would you tell 20-year-old Heather. I think this question I've thought about a lot and I um it's so super specific to my journey. So it might be like some listeners might resonate and some might not, but honestly the only thing that I would say to myself is it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's mm. going to be okay. Like hold on to that hope. And I I wanted to be I wish I was gentler with myself. Um I felt really frustrated when mm. I didn't have hope. And I felt really frustrated at the fact that at my reaction to the unknown um, and that it's okay not to be okay. And that's a lesson that I learned through my Mm -hmm. 20s. But I think I wish I would have known that in the beginning. Like it is okay 
not to be okay. And you are going to get to the other side of this. You're going to look back and there will be a moment where you look back and go, oh my gosh, why was I so sad? Or why was I so freaked out? Or why did I let this affect me so strongly? Or why did I, why didn't I have more grace with myself? And it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I wish I said all those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I agree. We'll hang on to those. Okay. Uh, I also want to know, like, what are you, like, reading, listening to, and or watching these days? Okay. This is a Christian, probably mostly Christian audience, and so some people may judge me, and that's just okay. Um, so I I no love, judgment. love, love Handmaid's Tale. Do you watch that? <laughs> On Hulu? Oh, I have not okay. watched it, but I have, yeah, I have heard oh of it. Gosh. I have heard of it. it. They just started their third season, and I... Um, <laughs> didn't realize it. And so I'm for, I get to like binge watch five episodes cause they only release one a week. Yes. And I, I, oh, oh my gosh, nice. I, I haven't yet. Life's been too full, but I can't wait. So I love Handmaid's Tale, but it is intense. It is for sure R rated. It is yeah. not a G rated television show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, yes. That yes. I've heard too. Okay. No judgment. And then I, um, I'm reading right now while I just finished and I can't recommend it more. Um, Austin Channing Brown's book, um, Black Dignity in a White World. No, what is it? Uh, I'm Still Here. Austin Channing Brown is a black woman. She's incredible. Her book is I'm Still Here. It came out last year, I think. Okay. But I just finished it. It's so important. I tr- I'm trying a lot. Um, as a white person, I try to read, and as an author, I try to read as many books by people of color as I can. I'm really conscientious of what I, what I'm reading and what I'm learning. And so it's really easy to just read lots of books by white people, which is fine. I'm a white person putting a book in the world. So please buy and read my book. Right. But I um, think it's really important (laughs) to have diversity in what we read because it gives us different perspectives. So she's a Christian. She loves the Lord and her book is incredible. Yeah. Just finished that. And I'm starting a book. I I guess I'm allowed to talk about this. There's not like secrets. One of my good friends, his name is Jeremy Courtney, and he runs a nonprofit called um, Preemptive Love Coalition. He and his family live in Iraq. Um, they're Americans and they live in Iraq. They've been there for like oh, wow. 12 or 15 years, but he has a book called Love Anyway. Oh, wow. And so it's not out yet, but I'm endorsing it. Hmm. So I just started Love Anyway. And um, yeah, but Very his, cool. his organization's rad. You should look into them. They're incredible. That's what I'm... Yeah, I'm reading I want and watching to. right now. What else? What else am I watching? Okay, I don't know. Great. I love like Grey's Anatomy is one of my very favorite shows, and oh yes, my gosh, classic. it's a classic. Um, but that's I don't I don't know. This is like a full season. Do you watch I The don't. Bachelorette? I have, I have in the past, but it's just not. I don't, I don't go there. I'm not for this season. Yeah, I'm life. too holy yeah. for that. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 I can't tell like literally last night me and my friends we like none of us have cable because we're like poor 20 somethings you know and but we love the bachelorette and so we were literally trying like any possible way to like use somebody's login it. to like watch it on so I think like it's we spent like 25 minutes trying to figure out how we could watch it uh because yeah, we we always are like just looking for like anybody who I is cable. And I was totally kidding it. about that comment. Have <laughs> you um about it not, about being too holy for the Bachelor? I'm all about watch the Bachelor and Bachelorette. 
I just don't, I think I got too wrapped up in it a long time ago and then I just stopped. Um, have you mm-hmm. seen Unreal? It's on, it's a um, spoof on like a reality show. And oh, you need to watch no, it. What's it on? What it's either that? Netflix or Hulu. That's all we have. So it's Netflix or Hulu. It's called Unreal. Okay. And it's a yeah. fake, yeah. it's a fictitious show, like a drama about the behind the scenes of like a bachelor, like a, a recording. But no. it's it's gnarly. And it you'll watch it and it's not I mean, it's who knows what's true and what's not, but you'll watch it and be like, oh my gosh, I'll, right. you'll never be able to right. watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette again. The same. Like you'll watch it, but never again the same. It'll change the way you watch it. Right. It'll totally change my worldview. Unreal did like three or four seasons and it's done. So you can like binge watch it. You can just watch it back to back. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, I'm totally going to find it. I'm like living it up. Also, yeah. Also R rated. So I'll put that. It's on Hulu. Okay. I just looked it up. It's on Hulu. For sure, an adult show. And so if you're tender hearted (laughs) and tender, yeah, then you don't need to watch it. But I feel like if you can watch The Bachelorette, you can watch it. (laughs) Right. Yes. (laughs) I'm so excited. Okay. Thank you for that. You're if we walked away with anything, it's that exactly. it's unreal on Hulu <laughs> behind the scenes. Yes, as long as you know that. <laughs> yes. Okay. And then lastly, I always ask, what is refreshing you these days? So like anything that's just like giving you life. Yeah. Um, I this is an easy one for me because I just started last last year, last fall, I bought a group on for a yoga room, a yoga studio. And Ooh, I had never done any, I'd, been, yeah. I'd done yoga, like women's retreats or whatever, but never a studio. And then I signed on for the whole year. And so I go to, it's hot yoga. I go like two to three days mm-hmm. a week and it is giving me life and change. It is like feeding my soul and I, my life is really hectic and nonstop. And I, there's always 1 million things going on in my brain. And the yoga classes I take right. are so intense that I, and the whole practice of yoga is focusing on your breath that, um, I can't, I can't think of anything else for that hour and 15 minutes. Like I'm forced to just focus on my breath and focus on my body. And then you end the practice practice is called with Shavasana where you just for like two to five minutes, you just lay It's your final pose and you lay on your back and listen to music. And it's like, they, they turn the fans on. So they cool the room down. And it's like, I lay there and I just, um, like meditate on the thing, the good things God's doing in my life and like breathe in truth and breathe Uh out lies and it's been so awesome i love it yeah Mm, that's like your moment to just like step away and be a real human and then i'm drenched i mean the hot Mm. yoga is no joke and i'm not a sweater i am oh yeah i am drenched with all the sweat and hotness yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I know. I I had never done it until I did the same thing. I like got like a free month or something at the studio by me. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so So hot hot. in here. What is (laughs) happening? Uh, But it's without it, like you don't really sweat if you're doing yoga. So I see like why they do it. Yeah. So hot yoga. Kind of just get it all out. Hot yoga for the win. Love it. That's my thing. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Heather. I loved having you. And I'm thankful that you're speaking out just about loving the way that Jesus did, you know, and being aware of the people around us and in the ways that we're seeing them. 
um, and responding to them. And so we're so excited for you in this new book. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And um, this was a fun conversation. Cheering you on. I'm excited that you have this podcast. This is great. Thank you. Yes. We're so excited. I'm going to check out, you know, all the resources. Very good. Yeah. All right, homies, I'm going to pause for a sec to tell you about a podcast. Do you want to stay up to date with the latest news but don't have the time? The Newsworthy is a great daily podcast that helps you stay up to date with everything you need to know in less than 10 minutes. Unlike many news sources out there that can leave you feeling depressed, The Newsworthy is fast, fair, and fun. Search for The Newsworthy wherever you listen to your podcast or go to thenewsworthy.com to check it out. Wow, y'all, I am so grateful that you keep listening into the podcast. I pray that you continue digging deep into God's word and finding community that surrounds you, even if they're not exactly like you. I know it can be hard to love people well that aren't like us, but we're called to look like Jesus and love in the ways he did. Would you please check out Heather's amazing book that is so eye-opening and humbling to read? You can find the link in the show notes. I have super enjoyed reading it, uh, and I'm excited uh, that she's sharing it with the world. So thank you for listening in today, and I would love if you share this episode with a friend, write a quick review, give the podcast a rating. All of these things help so much because of iTunes algorithms. Also, make sure you're signed up for our weekly newsletters. You can sign up at waterwithlemonpodcast.com to get the updates and never miss a thing. I love each one of y'all and I'm so thankful for your support. See you back next week. Stay fresh, my people.